Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. I'm Michelle Bouchard, your host for today's show. In 2023, Travel Hub hosted 33 webinars. The session with the most interest and the most attendees was on the topic of, you guessed it, cybersecurity. It should really be no surprise that most of our top webinars last year were cyber-focused. Our most attended sessions at TribalNet were cyber-focused, too. In this episode of the Tribal Hub podcast, we will be sharing part one of the Raise Your Tribe Cybersecurity IQ webinar session presented by Second Derivative. If you're not familiar, Second Derivative is a Native American women-owned business that provides a variety of technology services, including strategic business technology alignment, information security strategy, IT service management, and much more. Second Derivative's founder, Renita DeStefano, along with the CEO and founder of Pepper Consulting, Tony Pepper, teamed up to bring us this session, which was informative, relevant, and shared resources, actionable tools, and platforms to stay updated and bolster your cybersecurity knowledge. Welcome to our Tribal Hub webinar, Raise Your Tribe Cybersecurity IQ with Second Derivative. Presenters today are Renita DeStefano of Second Derivative and Tony Pepper of Pepper Consulting. I want to take a moment. I feel like I'm really fortunate to get this first post tribal net session because, you know, a lot of the concepts and the things that we're going to talk, talk about today are really top of mind. You know, a lot of what you're going to see today is, you know, feedback that I garnered and gathered at the TribalNet conference 2023, which is in San Diego, just a couple of uh, weeks ago. And so I feel like the content is going to be pretty fresh. It's going to be very relevant. It's, again, it's top of mind. And so, you know, thank you to Tribal Hub and also to Tony Pepper for uh, joining us, you know, with relatively short notice, but she's a, you know, total pro. And so really you know, was put ourselves into a position to be really prepared for today and kind of share out some of the information and feedback from the TribalNet conference. <clears throat> Our approach today is focused on assessing your infrastructure, but taking a person-first approach. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And then again, making sure that folks know and understand that there are resources available out there for cybersecurity workforce development. You know, one of the things that we know is that there is a serious talent deficit in Indian country when it comes to cybersecurity resources. And so, you know, your two options are you got to get them, meaning you got to, you know, attract and and hire and train and uh, and retain those resources, or you got to grow them. And so that's where, you know, most of us spend our time, which is, uh, you know, growing a cybersecurity workforce within the tribes and the communities that we that we live in. Um, you know, one of the questions that I got, and this is a bound of a, a strategy session, which is I talked about, you know, assessing your infrastructure. And as I was talking to folks, I heard a lot of these topics that, you know, came up. <clears throat> but one thing that I didn't hear a lot of conversation about, and I don't know if it was just, you know, we were talking about at the time or the context of the conversation. But what I didn't hear a lot of was that person first approach or let's talk about the people. But as you, you know, assess, the question was, why do, why do we need to assess our infrastructure? And the answer is, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward. The bottom line is that it informs your strategy. And there's a lot of things that go into, you know, thinking about what assessing your infrastructure is going to look like. 
But the bottom line is this, the number one thing that it does is that it provides a foundational role in identifying your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, and potential risks within your organization and your technology environment. So I'm going to talk about risk for you know a sec. One of the things that we hear a lot about is you know the threat landscape. What does it look like? What are the bad guys out there doing? And we get that information from a number of resources, including, you know, you might, tribes might subscribe to those, you know, kind of real-time alerts that come in. If you are a member of Tribal ISAC, you get a, is it a daily brief, I think, from, from Gate 15 that tells you very specifically, very tribal-focused, this is what the bad guys or the bad actors are out there doing and doing two tribes um, to, you know, to try to breach their perimeter or, or make them in some way exploited. There's also, you know, end of life operating systems. We know as technologists that it's very, very difficult to keep all of your operating systems all moving at the same pace, if you will, and keeping up with what is the current version. I liken it to, it's a little bit like if you've ever gone to the fair, I might be dating myself, but when you go to the fair and you play that game where you're shooting the the squirt guns, the water, the horses, and you're trying to make them all move along all at the same time. It's a little bit like that. You don't want one particular system to get way ahead of the other ones, and you don't want others to fall or or lag behind. So that's a delicate balance that we play with maintaining operating systems that that are healthy, that are current, and that can be patched. There's a lot of risk also with aging physical hardware, right? We, if you think about just the the PC life cycle, right? That should be somewhere around the three to five year uh, range where you are replacing your desktops, uh, excuse me, so that you don't have physical failure. One, you know, that's one risk, but also as you upgrade those physical devices with the new operating systems, they have to be able to handle the those upgrades to new operating systems. So then again, that's a delicate balance that we you know have to achieve, which is you know the purchasing of new stuff and making sure that we're you know not overspending, but also you know not always shooting for the you know we need the best and the brightest because we all know and especially in Indian country that you know capital can be sometimes tight. Cyber liability insurance is something that I think has been the bane of us for a couple of years now. Tribes are getting dropped because, you know, they are considered too high of a risk or they don't have all of the things in place that lowers their risk to an acceptable level of the underwriter. So this is something that has been weighing on us for a long, long time. But Tony, I wanted to um, have you join the conversation about a couple of things that I, you know, like to call, you know, technical debt and and supply chain. You just kind of give us some color commentary on what those two things can look in 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 the technical environment. Yeah, thanks, Renita, and thanks, Michelle, for the warm introduction. And I echo all of Renita's sentiments around Travel Hub and the great support that we get from them uh, and putting on these types of events. So, you know, a couple of things, and I think you touched on it with with the end-of-life operating systems and aging physical hardware, right? You know, IT's responsibility is, is is multifaceted, right? And I think that we find ourselves wearing multiple hats. We have to keep the lights on. Like, I like to say that, keep the lights on, right? We have to just make sure that the basics are working. While in the background, we have to do all these maintenance-related things that people don't really see, nor do they have really any great appreciation for because they're just given. It's always like it to 
plumbers, right? When they turn the faucet on, they expect the water to come out. They don't really care what the pipes look like on the back end. We do. And that's our responsibility. And it creates a lot of risk for us if we can't find a good balance and keeping the lights on and doing all this behind the scenes maintenance that is required for a healthy environment. I think secondarily, um, you know, gone are the just-in-time inventory days for supply chain, right? It's, you got to plan way, way out. I mean, we can thank lots of things like COVID for that, right? I hate to use that word every time we meet, but it is a reality. You have to plan. I mean, we should be proactively doing planning anyway. We used to have solid inventory of all our hardware and software, and it's easy to say those words out loud, much more difficult to do that and then maintain it. But really, from a budgetary standpoint, you need to be thinking bigger picture, longer term, and you need to have good things in place so that you can order accordingly. Right. Renita said capital is tight on the travel. Capital is tight everywhere. Let's just be honest with that. But, you know, we used to be able to order switches and they show up next week. Now it's like three months if you're lucky. Right. And so when you think about upgrading into life hardware or you think about, you know, anything that has to do with dependency on a third party, you really got to think strategically about that bigger picture, longer term play and all the things that are outside of your immediate control. Right. Which will lend to the third party piece later that we'll talk about. But all those things play together. And so I think that if you aren't doing those things, you will you will fall behind and and Playing catch up is the worst place to be, right? You, you live in reactive mode versus proactive mode. You can't allow your team to come to the table and talk about strategy because you get so marred down in the tactical day to day, right? That is exhausting for everybody. So that's my two cents worth. Thank you, Joni. And I just want to kind of close that conversation or at least transition to the next part of the conversation. When we're talking about risk is, you know, talent is a huge, huge part of uh, the risk that we are seeing. I think we've always seen it, but I think it's certainly highlighted in the last couple of years that risk of attracting talent and retaining talent is a huge part, especially in cybersecurity, because as we know, cybersecurity jobs is one of the top jobs that all over the country that folks are all fighting for the same resources and you know federal government is throwing money at you know the development of cybersecurity talent and so you know that's something that always have to be thinking about you know we all talk about vulnerability management and the uh, you know the ability to be able to patch your systems this is related to that end of life operating system conversation that we have and so there's you know that whole version compatibility conversation that you have to have with your application vendors so you know on top of the operating systems since since the application we have to make sure that our vendors have those roadmap conversations where they know that at a certain time that you know those systems are going to go end of life and their their application has to work on top of that and i can't think of you know a greater time when that became so obvious to us was you know during an event that happened a couple of years fondly known as log4j where there was a really it was really highlighted that many of the systems that we had in in place we didn't have a great software build of materials or SBOM. I like to say that, put that on here because I like to say the word SBOM. But what it really highlighted was that we didn't know all of the ingredients and all of the systems. I really got Tony laughing. And all of the systems that we have, you know, that we have care, custody, and control over. And so when an event 
like log4j happens they you know said you know well where do you have this you know certain element of java living we had to go digging for it and even our vendors weren't quite sure that you know that where it lived and whether or not it was part of their systems regulatory compliance you know is something that we face all of the time i think something that's top of mind right now is you know, the payment card industry, PCI data security standard 4.0 is coming fast and furious. Many of the elements that we have to address, which is um, there are 63 new requirements. I thought 250 or 300, whatever the number was, it was a lot, right? I thought it was a lot before, but there are 63 new requirements. Some of those requirements are effective immediately, specifically March 31st of 2024. And so that is kind of looming ahead of us um, to, to understand, you know, what are those changes and how do I address them in my current technology environment? Again, both from, you know, the three headed monster, which is, you know, people, process and technology, because some of those requirements, many of those requirements are procedural in in nature, and they involve both IT and the business side. Whenever we're thinking about infrastructure, you know, I always think about incident response and disaster recovery. This, you know, if you've reached the Shangri-La and you're updating your DR plan and your incident response plan, Real time as you're adding and hopefully as you're subtracting uh, systems from your environment, updating them real time. Amazing. I applaud you. But if not, you know, you should be doing that when you assess your infrastructure, because I can guarantee you that since the last time you've, you've done it, if it's, let's say, annual, that your your environment has changed. There has been a new system that has been introduced there has been a requirement that puts your reliance on a particular system. It changes your reliance on a particular system. Great example, right? Internet is not just for Googling anymore, right? We saw that again from, from the point, standpoint of the pandemic, which is it really causes us to change the way that we meet and the way that we have meetings and the way that we collaborate. So that alone, just as a standalone example, changed what the internet meant to us. But as things move to the cloud, as we have, you know, other third parties that we are interfacing our systems with, you know, those reliance on those systems change the recovery time and the recovery point objectives. Let me give you an example. You know, some of those systems, specifically point of sale systems, rely on the internet to go get that authorization from the credit card companies to say, yeah, go ahead and um, pay for Tony's dinner. She's got enough money on her credit card. And so, you know, if you're reliant on those systems, it changes the way that you treat your internet point of presence. It makes it become a critical part of your infrastructure where, you know, having the internet down for a couple of hours might have seemed okay at some point. But if you have customers standing there waiting in line and you have to go offline with your credit card system, that has a customer impact. It changes the story. And so those, you know, those things have to be updated you know, every time you assess your infrastructure. As we talk about security architecture, I put it uh, first in in capital. I tried to bold it, but I think I, I didn't do that. But, you know, procedures are really the foundation of security architecture. We oftentimes, you know, think about the physical devices, you know, switches, routers, and firewalls, and that sort of thing. But procedures are the number one 
element to your security architecture. We're going to camp out on that in a little bit here. But, you know, kind of the classic things that you think about are, you know, again, Internet points of presence, your public key infrastructure or encryption. You know, encryption at rest, encryption of things in transit, your endpoint protection certainly is in scope for your infrastructure assessment and all the other things. Specifically now, again, as Tony mentioned, we hate to keep pointing out, you know, the pandemic, but remote connectivity became essential to just, you know, everything we do. And nowadays, anywhere that you have a business to business connection which we have seen more and more over time with the advent of cloud computing computing is that you have to have those healthy lines of traffic open and available and with integrity between you and your business partners you know we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about budget and the you know the impact that strategy has on our operating and capital budget specifically you know licensing and FTEs and headcount is an important part of that as well. Security awareness has to be updated all of the time. And I put this under the category of new trickery, which is the best way that I could describe, you know, kind of what's going on in, you know, in the, uh, with our end users. But it used to be that you would be able to enroll folks in the security awareness training 101 and they click their way through and go, yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fall victim to the phishing campaigns, but some of the things that are, I wouldn't say they're new, brand new out there, but they certainly, we've certainly seen an uptick in that. So acknowledging that October um, is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, I'm going to go ahead and take this opportunity to do a public service announcement or a little tiny bit of training on something that we call advertising or malicious advertising. That's also hard to say, but what it is, is a cyber attack technique that the bad guys inject are injecting malicious code within digital advertising. Now, this is really difficult to detect those infected ads because they are served up on your screen to the end user community through legitimate advertising networks. Perfect example. I am a great proponent of you know, recipes online. I think we've all done this, right? But they are the worst. Everyone's going to, I hear a collective groan out there of everybody going, yes, they are the worst in serving up those advertisements. And we're just sort of numb to them now. But what we're seeing are, you know, kind of the signature uh, malware advertising is, Michelle, like the collective groan, right? Kind of those signature things that we see are uh, get rich quick schemes for surveys. So click here and fill out on a survey. How do we do those kinds of things through, you know, something that you may have just purchased? How did we do? What was your experience like with our website? It may or may not have been delivered from, you know, the place that you just ordered. If it's not, it's, you know, and it's infected with malware. It forces the user to you know, if you click on it, it does what's called a screen hijack. And it's really, really, really difficult to get, you know, close the window, close the window. It's really, really difficult to get out of it. And this kind of fits into that, you know, it's too good to be true. Oh, I can get a $100 Amazon gift card if I just do this survey. I like Amazon too. I, you know, I spend my money there too. But you know, one, you know, one of the things that we have to be careful of is, you know, while we want a delicious meal, you know, don't click on the advertisements 
it's really not worth the hundred dollars that you may or may not be getting. The other, you know, big ticket item in this space is tech support scams or uh, what I call scareware. So, you know, the user's presented with a screen that says, you know, you've been infected with, with a virus. Click on this button to scan your PC and we'll fix it all for you. Or call it this 1-800 number with your credit card and we'll make sure that we take care of it immediately. Both of those things are very, very bad. Do not click on, you know, scan my PC from anyone other than your technical support folks. Take your hands off the keyboard and, you know, walk away if you have to. Get your friends in IT to come and visit your visit your computer. The, you know, the best defense is a good offense um, such that you have updated in your endpoint uh, protection systems sort of block that kind of, you know, advertising or malware advertising. But either way, again, it's difficult to uh, detect. It's impossible to close the window. And once they have, you know, your control of your PC or your credit card, it's really, really hard to recovery, recover from that. Um, I, I'd like to add something to that, Renita, if you don't mind. So they're getting so clever now. And this is why you should not only educate yourself and your team, but at home, particularly, right? I think you talked about the recipe thing, but I mean, on a very frequent cadence, my husband will get a text message to say, your Amazon delivery is delayed, blah, 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 blah. And have fun. I got him to where he will say, hey, do you have something coming? And I'm like, well, you know that I wouldn't do that, right? Or you know that we don't have anything coming, right? But He's now learning all these crazy techniques because they are getting really, really clever, right? They're watching your spending patterns, right? They have all this information on us. They are targeting your your spouses, your children, office sites that you spend a lot of time on. I mean, it's it's scary to think about. I get a new invoice from McAfee and then I got one from Avast. I mean, these are real products that I use at home. And I'm like, but I didn't buy anything. And I have to know that. And you have to make sure that you're in tune with other people in your household are doing. That's how they're getting really clever, right? Because they just depend on, you know, somebody clicking to say, oh, my wife must have done that or my husband must have done that. So just be aware of those types of things too. The kids our new target, right? It's new target market. And they're all using our accounts and they're clicking on their own stuff. And some of them got their own credit cards now. Equally important to share these things with your children. I'll say that because I have a 14-year-old teenager who spends more of my money online than I do. Just trying to teach him good practices and understanding like what the threat landscape is out there is, is really important. Yeah, those are really, really great comments. I mean, we could spend, we could spend a whole webinar on this, right? But, you know, some of the things that we see upticks in the in the April time frame, which is, you know, tax season, the phone scams that are related to folks calling your HR department because there's a 1-800 number that's published calling your HR department and saying, hey, update my banking information. And then they file your tax return for you and it gets deposited into their bank account. Again, there's so much new trickery out there. We could spend all day in this this category, but I want to move on to, you know, third-party risk, which we know, you know, there is risk as it relates to uh, cloud computing, outsourcing. So it may not, you know, live in the cloud, but you may have taken a piece of your business and outsourced it to somebody else. And then, you know, of course, Tony talked about, you know, some of the supply chain uh, risks that we have seen, which is just being able to get stuff in the door and, you know, not being able to update things in the manner that we that we had hoped to. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago at TravelNet, I actually got to facilitate a panel to talk about vendor risk management, i.e. third-party risk management. And the thing that I will remind people is make sure that, you know, you know who you're doing business with, right? I mean, 
And, and there are those times where they're coming in and they're not, they're just integrators, right? They're not going to be the person providing support to you. But if they come in and access your network in any way, you need to know who those people are, right? Contractually, you need to make sure you have language that can protect you and your organization. I could spend all day talking about third-party risk management, but I won't. But not just who you're constantly doing business with, but those one-time people, right? And not just the, the things that IT supports and manages. And this will lend itself to get outside of your box and build relationships with other facets of your organization. But facilities with all their building management stuff, we all know about Target with the HVAC things. These are real legitimate ways that these people are, are getting into these environments. And so just be aware and, and educate the masses, not just the technical folks, right? Right. How much, how often do we hear, like we've heard the story of folks that compromised through their fish tank, right? Through this yeah. beautiful aquarium that they had. And how many times have we heard, again, there's going to be a collective groan. There's no IT involvement in that project, okay. right? But to Tony's point, if it's sitting on the network and you're in IT, you need, you need to know about it. So thanks for that additional information. And again, this is not, you know, this is an assessment of your infrastructure is not a one and done thing. This is part of, you know, a continuous improvement cycle that you need to, you know, be plugged into all of the time. Okay, so, you know, when we think about the elements of infrastructure, when I'm, you know, when I'm talking to folks, the first thing that kind of comes to mind, and I've put these in order just so that we can identify which box that I'm talking about. This is not an order of priority. Specifically, we'll talk about 8, 9, and 10 in just a minute here. But these are the things that when I'm out there talking to people, this is what I'm hearing. And so the first thing that folks want to talk about is, you know, their physical switches, the physical devices, switches, fires, routers, appliances, and of course, your internet point of presence. You know, when you're doing an infrastructure assessment, uh, you know, these are the things that you need to make sure that they're current. These are the things that you need to make sure that there is a, you know, that they have been receiving firmware updates and upgrades and, you know, things that are end of life. And one question that I had was, you know, what's the best way to uh, do that assessment? And, you know, my best answer is, you know, rely on your vendors. This is something Tony mentioned just a second ago. Contractually, you should be including in your uh, contracts, your sport maintenance contracts on those devices for a periodic health check, right? If, whether it's annually or semi-annually, it depends on you and, you know, the vendor. But certainly that should be coming at no cost to you in your contractual agreements on your support agreements. They should be, first of all, if they're on an RFP and making a proposal, that should be part of the proposal, right? They should be coming to you and telling you, we're going to come in and do a health check on your systems periodically. But also storage and compute has become really important because, you know, storage is not just, you know, sitting in the data center 100%. There are these hybrid cloud and on-prem uh, environments where sometimes the system is on site and the storage of that uh, data is in the cloud somewhere. But if it is on site, you know, you have to think about your capacity for your on um, your current storage arrays. What does your growth look like? You know, do we have enough blades? And also backups. What are we backing up? And whether you have an opportunity to address kind of a tiered backup structure, meaning I want this stuff to be, 
you know, available within a couple of days. I need this stuff to be available real time in split seconds or somewhere in between or even further out. You need to understand, you know, email is probably one of the biggest offenders of, you know, do I need that email from 12 years ago immediately? Or am I okay with saying, I want to look for that one email from Tony Pepper where we talked about backups. I'm okay with waiting, you know, a half a day for that result to come back and it'll be back in my inbox or be, you know, connect me to that email in some way. When we talk about servers and virtualization, you know, the first thing that we think about is physical host. And that is, you know, a double-edged sword when we're talking about virtualization is, you know, we have a lot of stuff that's virtualized, but what what are our physical servers and why are they physical servers? Do we need to, do they need to stay physical in this? You know, sometimes there's, again, a conversation with a vendor. If it can't support being virtualized, that maybe that might be a red flag. It might not be, but it's just, you know, worth the conversation either with yourself or with the vendor to make sure that you're understanding, you know, the licensing costs that are associated with that, whether it's high availability, meaning it's redundant and resilient, and whether it matches that recovery point objective. In other words, if it if it gets struck by lightning or is susceptible some you know water damage or something how important is that system to the business again this is a business conversation how important is it to the business and you know can it be virtualized where i can just spin another one up if it all goes south mm-hmm. i mean cybersecurity is obviously a big part of your infrastructure you know everything that's protecting you from you know from the internally within your network from segmentation and micro-segmentation, but also outside, keeping the bad guys out and making sure you know when somebody's on your network that doesn't belong there, either through endpoint detection or network-managed detection and, and response, and of course, your event and security event monitoring and logging. Um, when we talk about software, you know, I like to look at it from an application portfolio strategy or standpoint, meaning, you know, what is the current version of where we are? Where do we need to be? How are we going to get there? Is this software as a service? And is somebody already taking care of most of that? And again, operating system is, is the software, but we need to make sure that we're on, you know, current versions that can be patched and um, that our current and future applications can run on them without causing any, you know, business interruption. Telecommunications is the, you know, making all the things connect to each other and talk to each other over our local and wide area networks. You know, voice over IP is something that has been, you know, talked about for a long time and certainly is an element of infrastructure. But we've also added video conferencing and Again, the way that we collaborate is not a nice to have anymore. It is a necessity, a business necessity that we have those systems available for our, for our businesses to, to tap into. Data centers, you know, are typically facility based. This is where a partnership, a great partnership with your facilities team is really, really important because, you know, those concepts of power, space and cooling I don't know the last time I looked in IT, we don't have any electricians. So we depend on kind of those HVAC uh, folks to come in and help us, you know, understand, you know, 
heating, cooling, water detection, fire suppression, and those conversations about co-location, meaning, you know, we don't have the facility to have all of our data centers here. Is there someplace else that we can put either on tribal land or off tribal land that will help us to, you know, maintain data centers that are, you know, resilient and redundant? So... I've been doing a lot of talking here. Uh, Tony, do you want to add to anything before we go on to authentication procedures and talent? I, I do. Just a couple of points. You know, back on the storage side, just quickly when we talked about backups, you know, the the term that comes up numerous times, and I can't see, I can't do a poll or anything, but Michelle maybe could tell me how many folks are on the call that are non, not IT people by trade, Right. So I'm going to use this word, it's called immutable backups, which has become a really, really, really big focus for us in light of all the recent ransomware attacks and the importance of immutable backups, meaning you can back it up, but it can't be altered once it's backed up. Really, really crucial aspect to add to that, that if you guys aren't familiar with that term or technology folks on the call are not familiar with that term, please reach out and Renita and I can provide you a lot of resource materials because that is a key component of what we're responsible for today, right? The other piece I'll add, you know, we still have three boxes to go, but I'll kind of skip ahead a little bit. You know, as you can see, and this is only, you know, the broad boxes that Renita's laid out on the different elements that are involved in infrastructure, right? And and when you look at it, you're like, oh, well, in their own box, they look like full-time jobs because they are. <laughs> and most of us don't have subject matter experts on our team or the resources available that have knowledge of all these things or that can span out this much, right? We can't afford to go hire a person to oversee every box that's on this, on this, uh, the page. And so as we talk through, you know, the remaining presentation, you'll hear us talk a lot about talent, but I, for the, the non-technical folks on the call and for the technical folks on the call, I think, I think a lot of times we don't, people don't appreciate the value that IT people bring to the table because they don't really understand the landscape that we operate in day in and day out. And these are not things that one day you focus on networking, one day you focus on networking. These are like ongoing things you have to do all the time. Like we're like those people at the circus where you spin the plates, like that's us, right? And so I just want to like say those things. The other piece I want to comment on is telecommunications. Interestingly enough, you know, love the way she put the box, wide area, network, local area, work, all these things. Because I think a lot of people think it's the phones. <laughs> people think telecommunications is phones. I'm like, nope, that is not what that is. It is the backbone for how information traverses across your network. And I think that, you know, having people really understand how that works is really crucial. And, and the technology advances that have come along in the telecommunications space that have really increased our availability for bandwidth, right? As well as security, there's encryption capabilities that we didn't have before. There are all these new kind of cool things that are out there. So I would say that if you think that telecommunications is phones, please, be aware that it is much, much bigger than that. For information on today's podcast, click on the show notes. If you have a story to share or a topic you'd like to see covered, reach out to our team on LinkedIn or email contact us at tribalhub.com. See you soon.